Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And, uh, yeah. Sorry about that. We'll do a little tea. That's just for our break. And what have you, if we could get to a break. And um, I'd like to welcome everyone to this week's show and um and we here. And we here. Hey. Um, this, this is Queen Mother for Real Media that sponsors Black Herb America, which is co hosted by me, Kenny Jones, and Tammy Cazali <laughs> in the house. Hey Danny, how you doing? <laughs> and, What's going uh, on? Doing good, Kenny. Good, good, good. Um on tomorrow night on Wednesdays we had Devin Heflin with No One Talk. He he explores different uh, issues uh, in the uh, in the political world. Uh, then on Saturday we have that do provocative thought and uh, he uh, explores social behavior in the black community. And all of these shows come on eight o'clock p.m. And then we have another program called the Marketing Partnership Program. And this is for people that have their own business, part-time business, as well as they employ themselves, they're entrepreneurs. And so uh, it's a marketing partnership program. That's a win-win situation for everyone. Tammy, what's going on with you? Hey man, I'm just I'm just chilling. I'm I'm happy to be here on the radio and just you know ready to co-host with you, Kenny. How's everything going with you, man? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Hey folks. Yeah. folks, we have a topic that we have not explored before, and and it's a part, and they are a part of our people, our communities, our culture. What have you? And that is taking care of the little, the little ones, the little people, the toddlers, the infants. And tonight, as a guest, we have a preschool teacher that worked with uh, birth to, I guess, four-year-old preschoolers. And, uh, and we're going to discuss tonight about some of the the uh, uh, nurturing and uh, uh, development of our little babies. Welcome, April. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Hey, April. Hello. So can you tell tell our um, audience and uh, our downloaders uh, who you are, what you do? Yes, absolutely. Um, I am an older toddler inclusion educator in the Birth Through Five community. So I teach one-and-a-half-year-olds turning to, um, and just recently I was promoted to this um, position, but I have been in the Birth Through Five early care education community for 
about nine and a half years, going on ten years. When you say early education community, what does that consist of? Well, um, we say early care education, so basically that is um, infants through um, age five. So that is your infants, your younger and older toddlers, um, your younger preschoolers, and your older pre-Kers. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. so uh, so no longer uh, the kindergartens or early education. Uh. And it it depends on um, typically it depends on what setting you are in, because some child development centers do have kindergarten. But for the most part, you know, most kindergarten programs are in the, in the um, elementary school um, programs, but there are a few that's in child development programs. So sometimes it depends on what type of program um, that are being serviced in the community. In a child's development, in a child's development, how important is the family being the core core of that child's development? It is extremely important because um, anytime you as an early um, care education um, educator attend like trainings and workshops, the very first thing they will tell you is that the parent is the child's first teacher. So um, that child is learning culture, language, um, all different type of emotional and social emotional cues. So it's it's extremely important that we value the parent as the first teacher and also include them in your, your program development. And one of the ways that we do that is, you know, making sure that they are welcome and nurtured into the, the school environment. Well, how important are parents? First of all, what is nurturing? A lot of people uh, use that term. Well, nurturing um, can mean many different things, but for the most part, it is a person that is willing to to learn about their child. It's a person that is willing to, um, you know, sometimes access some resources and for a a caregiver as ourselves in the in the education community. Um, one of those thing, one of the things that we try to do is teach parents how to be nurturers. So when they we give them certain tools. So some of the tools that we we typically use are maybe is like um, it could be something like a family literacy pack to get to help your child to kind of communicate and to also integrate in the the school learning environment and the home environment too. Um, Another way is to also just welcome the parent into the school community and by what parent conferences, learning what their child can do, but also help them to develop certain skills. And that's part of the, the, the nurturing process because it is a process as to learning how children develop and what they need for, say, milestones. Tammy? Yes, yes. Yeah, I did have a question. I was wondering, when you, in your area, do you guys call your Early Start program Head Start, or do you have another name for it? Well, the Head Start program um, is usually like a federally funded program, and we're different from that. Um, okay. So, 
So um, we are a nonprofit program. So mm-hmm. in our program, we basically our, the property is actually paid um, paid off. A donor um, donated the property to the community. So what they do is have fundraising events and stuff to to raise physically for the grants to support the school. And so oh, that's awesome. Uh, Yes, and I've also worked at a um, research child development center. So I spent most of my time there. I was there for six and a half years. And so with the research child development center, they're usually on college and university campuses, and they're funded through um, grants through the university in addition to the tuition and fees because even at the nonprofit center where I am, we do have um, tuition and fees that the the parents do pay, but it basically pours back into the school. So it really Mm -hmm. depends on what type of program um, you have. But I, you know, work in an inclusion environment. So basically 70% of the children there that are servicing the community are typically developing, and 30% of the children have some type of special needs or life-threatening case. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. So since your program is not federally funded, are you able to, like, are you guys having more freedom with your curriculum for the students? I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? Do you have, like, since you're, I know that federally, usually federally funded programs, they have a very strict um, guideline on what they can actually teach the students. And since you guys are not federally funded, do you guys have more space or more room on how you how you want your curriculum to be? Do you guys get to be more creative, or do you still have to follow a strict guideline? Well, for the most part, um, I'll give you a little um, education about this as well. Um, we are a NACI accredited center, so basically we uphold, like, a national accreditation. And less than 10% of child development centers are NACI accredited, but we are one of them. And mm-hmm. based on the NACI accreditation, you have different curriculums that are research-based based that they prefer for the child development center to use. And so as mm-hmm. of right now, we use the creative curriculum, and the creative curriculum is something, um, it's one of your top curriculums that you use, and so it is a play-based curriculum. So basically, um, in your classroom environment, you should be able to see different types of learning centers with tangible materials. So you will see like math, a math center and a literacy center. And they typically do not want you to teach children from like a skill and drill type of concept, not using any worksheets. Um, I haven't used a worksheet in nine years. So hmm. they want you to, to be really engaged with the children. So that's the type of curriculum that we use. And then um, in addition to that curriculum, we have an online assessment that we use for children where you assess the children through pictures, work samples, notes, videos, based on different standards and domains. And then you share Mm -hmm. the information with the parents um, twice, typically twice a year. But at our center, we do um, parent conferences three to four times a year. Wow, that's really awesome. All right, Kenny. Yes, hey, uh, so April. Yes. So you deal with two-year-olds? Wow. Yes, I do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Y'all took that okay. line coming. Um, tell me, you said that uh, engagement. 
is very important uh, 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 in the child development. So, how engaging or interacting should parents be with their uh, children? Should they, you know, should it be overly possessive or structure or how engaging should one uh, be? Well, it really depends on the family because one one of the things we try to do is not really pass judgment based on that family or if the family is basically operating or doing things culturally, we really don't try to um, pass any biases upon that family. So in the when I mention um, NACI accreditation, um, some of the things that they want you to do for us, like child development centers, is engage the parents, and, and, and they kind of have an outline as to how they want you to engage the parents. So one of the things that they want you to do is have, like, workshops and trainings based on some of the needs of the parents. So if the parents feel like they need um, some type of support with dealing with children with temper tantrums or dealing with a specific diagnosis or disability, they want you to do that as well, in addition to, like, having the parent conferences, but also um, having the parent to, you know, volunteer, have certain special events. And so that's a, that's another way that you could possibly um, provide engagement in the learning environment. They want the the learning environment and the school and home environment to be very connected to one another because, as we know, that now more early learners are spending at least eight, sometimes 12 hours a day in a child development center. So they really want that strong connection between the, the school and, and family. Uh, let me ask you something. How engaging, uh, I mean, far as skill level, uh, how engaging are uh, African-American parents versus uh, uh, Caucasians? That's a good question. Um, well, I've, I've worked on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, predominantly, I spent most of my time in environments where it has been predominantly white. But mm-hmm. um, my first three to four years, I did spend my Georgia pre-K um, early learning experiences in a predominantly black community. And mm-hmm. the parents were extremely supportive and engaging and one of the things that um, you have to do as a teacher sometimes is, is you have to not only educate the child, but you have to educate the parent as well. And that's right. something that some educators, um, they'll soon realize. So one of the things that we that I decided to do um, in the school environment is have the parents to, I would meet them at the car and discuss their progress with their child. I would um, email them frequently make calls, and sometimes, if they needed to, make home visits. And that really, really encouraged the parents to feel comfortable and also share the progress of their child because sometimes, you know, they could be a little skeptical or they can feel like you're passing judgment. But once you really um, strengthen that relationship in the school environment, you'll notice that, you know, you'll have a very good outcome. So for the most part, as an educator, I really push volunteerism with my parents, and for the most part, I've had almost like a 95%, 98% some you know volunteerism every school year with the parents. And so um, 
they definitely were very supportive by coming to re-donating, and we've had opportunities to where we've done, done like, off-campus events. So it just really depends on the educator and how she's going to, he or she is going to go about the way of involving those parents. And sometimes you have to be creative, and sometimes you have to be innovative, too, when it comes to the involvement in the school. Why you got to be so creative and innovative, dude? You got to be more creative with African-American parents versus white parents to get them to become involved in the school? No. um, Sometimes, you know, um, certain parents, depending on the obligations that they have, they might not be able to come to the school to do volunteerism. So I had a parent... um, she noticed that a lot of parents were coming in to volunteer, and she she could not come because of her work obligations. So one mm-hmm. of the suggestions that I, I suggested to her was, okay, if you could record yourself reading a story, then we will play it inside of the classroom because that is a way of you volunteering as well. Um, and I helped her with that. So that's what I mean by kind of stepping out of the box a little bit to engage parents. Box. We'll step it out the box. Yeah. Tammy? So Yes, I'm here. Yeah. I'm just I'm interested to know, um, I know that you said you've been doing this for over nine years. Where do you see yourself in the next five years for as far as education the educational system and, you know, working with the children? Thank you. Excellent question. Um, I definitely would like to have my own child development center um, Mm -hmm. one day, and I would like to work in the communities where they do lack resources for as getting certain grants um, for the school and just really build a strong partnership within the community. Um, Also, one of the things I'm strongly interested in is, like, policy about, you know, early care education and awareness. So I've done a little bit of that by reaching out to the assistant commissioner about certain issues when it comes to educators as far as wages and supplies and um, different things like that. So I do feel like I am a birth through five advocate um, in the classroom and outside of the classroom as well. So that's one of my main goals that I see myself is um, for within the next five years also. I'm interested. Um, I've written written a few children's books, but I haven't published published them yet, so I'm definitely interested in that as well. That's exciting, and I know with your experience that you probably know exactly, like, what kind of stories to write and how to reach the children, so that's very commendable. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Kenny, um, your turn. (laughs) You're a writer, too, huh? You're a writer, too. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Picture book. I don't think it's going to ask another question or not. Like y'all would just, you know, we <laughs> out the conversation, but that's okay. Yeah, I figured that was going to happen. No. Uh, no. Uh, April. Um, let me ask you. Uh, far as policy, what are some of the major issues that you see? That could be uh, improved, or you don't see the, or you see that this uh, early uh, education is on the right track. Uh, what, as far as policy wise, do do that area need improvement? 
Most definitely. Um, mm-hmm. One of the areas of improvement that I feel like that is needed in the early care education community is um, educators being paid a livable wage. Across mm-hmm. the board, most schools that are NACI accredited um, are in middle-income communities, um, upper-class communities. So, but despite of that, with even with high tuition fees and costs and deposits, most early educators make eight to nine dollars an hour, and That's a lot of them um, do not have benefits depending on where they are. So um, I think it's just very important, and, and some of these teachers are degreed. They have bachelor's degrees. They have master's degrees. But even with the master's degree, some of them are making maybe $12 at the most in, in certain areas, and that is across the board, across the United States. Um, and I've researched that through Wage Works program. So just bring a more of awareness of early care education, having more investments and funding, and being more supported would be great. Um, another thing that I see is just basically having more resources for schools because you, the hands-on learning, so you do need materials to support your engagement in the classroom and different projects and um, different things of that nature. And just basically having high-quality education um, in the United States. And some people believe that or some centers believe that they are high-quality but now we have more um, programs like NACI accredited and more initiatives that are go- moving forward in certain states in the United States, but there's not many. Like I live in Georgia here, and we have a Department of Early Care and Education, but most states in the United States do not have a Department of Early Care and Education, maybe only four or five. So um, we still need more awareness about birth through five because just today I had a parent to um, sit in on my classroom because we have observational rooms. So we have universities, um, parents, partnerships that come in to observe, but today she observed and she was like, wow, I didn't know that this age group could do this. This is amazing, you know. So Hmm. something as simple as that to see that infants can do science and they do have standards, um, that young toddlers can do math concepts and understand them without worksheets, but you can mm-hmm. use natural-based materials is something that, you know, we still need to be aware of. So. Uh, yeah. Why do you think, why do you think that, uh, that uh, the preschool teachers or the early uh, child, uh, the early edu- the early education educators get minimum wage. Like that part of the the, the teaching, the the education uh, uh, system. And I know teachers are making a, not not making a killing, but um, they wait. They're not making minimum wage. Yeah, because for the most part, early. Elementary, middle, and high schools are, like, federally funded and and state-funded, and child development centers are not. They're privately funded. 
Do you the think only the, ones that are, for the most part, are federally funded are like early care Head Start and Head Start centers. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, that's, that's the mainly what is, it is. What's the free start and uh, 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 early education centers? Y'all deal with more of the development and Head Start deal with what? Head Start is is the is very similar to high quality learning, but they were like the first to be like federally funded programs. Mm-hmm. And even with Head Start, it depends on um, the funding that comes through the government because they've had cuts as well. So we know that Head Starts are not necessarily implanted everywhere. It takes a lot of money to fund a Head Start. Um, my executive director, she helped in a process of funding like four Head Starts, but it took $20 million to mm-hmm. even put those Head Starts in the community. So it takes millions and millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, that's I think that's why um, why teachers are getting paid what they're paid. In a, and, you know, elementary school, middle school, and high school are like top priority priorities. Some people really don't really see how early learning is vitally important. So it's like you're not they still have to catch up a little bit with that. Mm-hmm. Tammy. Yes. I was gonna ask about the developmentally disabled or challenged did you say you had thirty percent of your students that were um just had some type of learning disability. Can you talk a little bit about the different disabilities and um, how how you guys work in the school setting with with the children with the disabilities? Okay. Well, in the school setting where I am, um, it's been around since 1945, and the person that basically donated the property to the community, her child had um, autism. So um, it's, it's been around for quite a while, but one of the ways that we support that we, we have all children that are autistic, um, we have children that have Williamson's disease, all different types of diagnosis. Some doctors still um, don't really know what to diagnose some of our children there in, in their environment. But one of the ways we um, support the children, we have therapy rooms there, so we have mm-hmm. on-site therapists where they can come and work with the children, um, and the parents can come, and that's why we have observational rooms. We have observational rooms connected to every classroom there. And we wow. also have a sensory room. So if the mm-hmm. therapists want to go in and work with the child or if the teachers want to partner with the, the therapist to work with the child, we can all do that, um, depending on, like, you know, the ratios and the times and stuff. But um, those mm-hmm. are some of the ways that we support them. And also, too, we have an inclusion specialist. So once you have a child that is diagnosed that have a certain disability, you will get a, a binder of, like, the history and, you know, the developmental goals, and you will partner with the inclusion specialist for the rest of the year in addition to the therapist, in addition to the parents. Mm-hmm. And so um, our center, you know, is quite unique because, a lot of times, like some child development centers, are they are very kind of afraid of, you know, letting that in because some people see it as a liability, you know. But mm-hmm. um, we that is one of the ways that we support 
the children in our learning environment. Mm-hmm. So they all individually have, like, an educational plan. Per, it's, like, individual to each student because they all yeah. have different individual learning disabilities. Madison. Yeah. That's really awesome that you guys have a, a, have a you know, it's set up where you guys can receive students and work with them. And is it so that a lot of when you have, you know, kids with developmentally disabilities, disabilities or who are developmentally disabled, do they have to have a lot of one-on-one care? It depends because um, it it really depends on the diagnosis, um, mm-hmm. and that is why our ratio in every classroom there's three full-time teachers. And oh, yeah. in addition to having three full-time teachers, our ratios are pretty pretty small, we also have um, substitutes and floaters that will come in and assist the teachers as well. That's awesome. So if you feel like you need additional support in the classroom, you could just simply tell your administrator, like, you know, I need additional support with this child. Like, for example, um, I'm noticing that a child that I've gotten just recently, that she might need a feeding therapist to come in during her snack time her, her mm-hmm. meal time and her snack time to help her, you know, eat and th- different things like that. So mm-hmm. for the most part, once you observe and you're include, you partner with your inclusion specialist and your therapist, then you're able to make those decisions if you need to work with a particular child one-on-one that is available to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. another question. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's not really off the topic, but it's still dealing with the children. Um, lately, we've been noticing that, um, I don't know if it's going on in um, early development, but I know like um, probably the kindergartners are, are kind of exposed more to um, what LBGT is and that community. What are your views on that, and how do you see children that young being taught about these different type of things that that are happening in our communities as far as the LGBT community goes. Yes. And we, for the most part, um, we, like I said, in our learning environment, we have no bias because we accept all families. So we do have families that, you know, have two moms and two dads, and Mm -hmm. we support those families. And so we do sometimes if a family want to come in and they want to read a book about, their family structure, they're welcome to do that in our learning environment because uh, we respect them as being a family unit. We respect them, that the parent, as being the first teacher. So in our learning environment, we have no bias when it comes to welcoming a family in based on how they decide to do their family structure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kenny, your turn. Oh, <laughs> my turn. In today. <laughs> uh, I said we're tag teaming today. Uh, um, um, well, basically, uh, I just want to ask. I was reading a uh, article uh, today on. Oh well, before I get to that question, uh, one question I want that's on my mind. Uh, uh, do you feel that uh, African American communities? can benefit from these uh, early educational centers or it's so expensive that 
we it's not affordable. Hmm. I'm asking really two questions. One, uh, okay, uh, uh, are, is it needed? And if it's needed, can we afford it? Well, it's absolutely needed <laughs> in um, every community. And um, most definitely, I do feel that um, families, depending on where you live, can afford it. Um, but if you can't, sometimes because it does take thousands and millions of dollars to um, basically operate and run a child development program that um, that there should be some type of support in place. Like I, I, I noticed like um, just recently, maybe like three months ago, I went back to the center where I first started at. Um, it was very close in my community. And um, before I went to a university-based child development center, and I, the the center is run by two um, African American married couples, and I basically let them know. They kept saying, "Oh, I would like, I would love to do this. I would love to do that in the school, but we don't have the money." And basically, I just gave them a list of grants, how to get the grants, and and different things like that. So I think that we definitely can afford it in some cases because some case, some and depending on where you live there are a lot of affluent African-American communities. I live in Atlanta, so, you know, um, black hey, folks are doing pretty good here. But in some mm-hmm. some communities, you know, they are hurting a little bit. But I think that, you know, there are certain, certain supports, but they just have to be aware of where the money is, per se. So. Can these centers be for profit? Yes, they can. Okay. And so uh, you feel that is that is the area for communities to really invest in and to control outside of government grants? Well, you know, government grants, once you get those government grants, they have regulations, you can't do this, you can't do that. But if you start your own, Early Childhood Educational Center, where you like keep Tammy said, where you be more have more uh, 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 freedom and to, and to be creative and innovative and culture based too. Mm-hmm. Cultural based. Yes, I mean, anytime you take money that is that that doesn't necessarily belong to you, it's going to always come with some type of stipulation. Mm-hmm. But it just depends on what type of grant it is, too, um, as well. So, yes, if you do start it on your own, you definitely have more freedom and creative control as to how you want to run your center and different things of that nature, but it's just basically getting to the money of how you can operate the center the way you want it. Because even when you have your own center, and you have this creative control, you're still going to have to abide by some type of regulation from somewhere because you mm-hmm. still have your state licensing that you mm-hmm. follow where people come out and check your, your, your center to make sure you're up to part on the rules and regulations cool. and your fire codes and stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Can you tell us more about the fundraising aspect of um, what you guys do at your center and what do you have any creative ideas of your own about fundraising and how you may later, um, if you start get ready to start your own center, like what are some of your ideas on how to raise money to get started? Okay. Well, um, we at, currently at my center, um, they have a lot of corporate sponsorships through, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And mm-hmm. those corporate com- um, corporate partnerships mainly came from the parents because the parents, for the most part, work at these companies. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just basically since they have been like a, a, a NACI accredited center, had different um, accreditations and distinctions, the money kind of just comes a little bit. But they do have a team in place for fundraising. They have a development manager a fundraising campaign committee where they raise money um, throughout the year. That's their goal. And another us aspect of fundraising that goes into the center is we where the center is located is located um, with two nature trails and it has like a nature garden and a big mm-hmm. you know atrium space. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they rent out the center for weddings and stuff. So that's another mm-hmm. um, way of having rev- revenue as well. I've never, I've never really um, been a participant in fundraising, but that's something that I am, you know, interested in. And my executive director, since she has helped raise millions of dollars about early Head Start, because I, I interviewed her for a class assignment, and I asked her could she share more jewels about it, and she said she would be willing to. Um, if I wanted to start my own center, she would be willing to, you know, teach me how to get grants and and just show me. She said it was a lot of hard work, but it mainly came from partnerships of, like, corporations and just donors because we do have, like, you know, donors that give thousands and millions of dollars as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So once you um... – get ready to do your own thing as far as fundraising goes, you would then go uh, start with writing for grants? Is that what you were thinking? Yes, yes. Um, There are some grants that when I was working at the research um, university there, the Child Development um, Center there, I've come across a lot of grants um, as well because, you know, grants were implemented there. And so I had an opportunity to kind of sit on some of the grant meetings, not too many of them because for the most part, you know, I'm an educator, so I was in the classroom most of the time. But um, mm-hmm. there have been some um, grant opportunities that have come through there where I've met with people. And it, some I thought it was just like a very, very hard task of, oh, you know, you have to do certain things, but, Mainly, sometimes it's just being aware of the program and being aware of, like, the certain things that you have to do. So I've gained some knowledge about that through there. And like I said, my executive director let me know about some opportunities as well when I'm ready. 
Yeah, that's pretty awesome that you're looking into it already, and you know, because you're preparing for the future. So that's that's right. important to pick up those nuggets along the way, those jewels, as you said, um, to to pursue your dreams. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> oh, Are you there? You. Oh yes, I am. I'm listening to every word. Thought you fell asleep um, or something. <laughs> no, no, you know, I can't fall asleep. Yeah. I fall asleep. The co- co- the controls will go dead. Uh, oh, but okay, uh, okay. I the story. Uh, I was reading an article, uh, researching this topic because this is not my specialty. I don't deal with the little people, the little ones. I mean, even though they're very important because they grow up to be future adults or whatnot. But uh, speaking of growing up. <clears throat> I'll read this article that there's a high, it, it continues to be a high rate, uh, a high mortality rate in African-American infants. Why is that still be, why is that still an issue in this day? Because it was an issue 20 years ago, 30 years ago, high African-Americans had a high uh, infancy mortality rate. Why is that? And should we be concerned? Well, I think there's many factors when it comes to that. Um, Number one, there could just be a lack of medical care and preventative care in certain communities that um, women are not able to access. Um, So that could be a possibility Another one could be like environmental factors, like where they live. Um, you know, we heard about Flint, you know, the water problem and different things like mm-hmm. that. These things still happen in our communities um, as well. So I think those could be some factors as to why that is still happening, even with the technology and the medical advances that we have had. But I really mm-hmm. believe that um, access to to medical care and health care and benefits could be one of them. And, you know, preventative care, things that could, you know, for us getting your vitamins and just different things about your baby and basic education, some women are just not getting. Because like I mentioned before, you know, even in my industry, in my field, with the low wages, a lot of those early care teachers do not have benefits, you know. So um, that could be a main contributor as to why that is happening in our community. But how can we improve this? Should we be should we be more involved in environmental factors? Should we be more involved in making public policy? In terms of getting more educational learning centers for 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 our, if, uh, our um, toddlers, you know, how can we? What is the solution to address uh, this high mortality rate? You know, because it's been going on for a while. It's been going on for decades. I think all the things that you listed could be one of the ways to kind of combat the problem. But I believe also just having an early care at, you know, a child development center in place can also help because with certain child development centers, what they do, especially in Head Start, 
um, they provide services and resources for families. So in some cases where a family is lacking, you know, nutrition or food, they will help that family get, you know, get to those needs or, you know, doctor's appointments or, or different things like that. They will bring um, things to the center to help the family as well. So that's what a lot of child development centers do. I know my particular child development center, um, even though it's an affluent community there, they still bring in resources for parents to access about, you know, how you can take care of your body and different things like that. And that's all, all that plays all into the role of being healthy and, you know, um, having a healthy family. So I think those are some of the things that could possibly help the problem. Yeah. Uh, Tammy, you have you have any more questions for uh, April? I just am just really excited to see someone passionate about working with the, you know, working with youth and just been in it and staying in it for so long and has a, and have a vision. You know, I'm, I'm just glad to yeah. to see you on and see you, you know, um, persevering despite of you know the wage difficulties and and any difficulties you may face. You know doing what you do, you know, I just want to commend you and say, April, you know, you're doing awesome, a great job, Thank you know, you. well done. Yeah, and keep up the good work, yeah, and I hope to see you develop your own dreams. Yeah, I hope to see you develop your own dreams in the near future. Yeah, best wishes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I have, I have, um, I have one more question. What would yes. you tell a young couple? Do you tell a very young couple, first child, how they can be nurturing? What what would what skills do they need? What would you tell a young couple the skills that they need to have a positive uh, uh, developmental cycle for their child? Well, if I've I've encountered this before, you know, um as an educator, having a young couple um and one thing we can assume about young couples is that they're not equally concerned as other couples about their child. And um if they are lacking any type of resources, one one of the things that I try to do is be a resource in every different way. So, if that couple if they need books, I will provide books for that couple if they need one-on-one sessions um, for them to learn about, you know, how can I communicate with my child? How can I have a a whole child and be healthy? Um, One of the things that I try to do is just try to make sure that I'm that ongoing support. So Mm -hmm. that looks like me possibly making a home visit to see, you know, to look in the environment and to see, okay, you know, this is where the child is. How can we turn this room into a into a learning environment? Um, and I've done that before. Um, so I think what's important is trying to see what the, the concerns of that young couple is. So if it's resources, like financial resources, trying to get them financial resources, if it's just simply if they wanting to learn about, you know, just, like I said, communicating with the child, um, 
and also too, you know, just just supporting them because I I know that when I dealt with that um, that child was there from like infants through five, even when they weren't in my classroom, I still was a, a support support for them. And um, some of the things that we would do sometimes is just continue to have those workshops throughout the school year. And, you know, some of those workshops look like, okay, how can I, something as simple as how can I prepare healthy meals on a budget, you know, or, you know, just different things like that. Um, So, yeah, I just think that being that ongoing support with that family and just letting them know that you there goes a very long way when different situations and stresses arise. Well, April, I thank you for coming on the show and sharing some very important uh, information. And uh, I know our audience and our downloaders will will appreciate you uh, uh, coming on this show and giving the uh, 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 giving our people uh, important information about child development. I thank you for coming oh, yeah. on, and I, and I will be in contact. Yeah, you will be getting another invitation to return. Many thank blessings. You. I, I enjoy sharing my um, knowledge and my experience about birth through five. I believe it's the most important because you know this, where like ninety percent of the brain is developed by age three. So mm-hmm. I am very excited about sharing our community and you know, um, the milestones that we're making in the industry. So thank you so much. Thank you. Great. Have a nice evening. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, Wow, that was very informative. She's just awesome, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very awesome. I mean, like. She described, gave us a lot of information. You know, yeah. especially at the end, the ninety percent of the brain being developed by age three. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I, nope. I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> uh, between zero and five, between zero and ten, wow. I don't know anything about. You got to give to me, but they, you got you got to sit around when they're older, you know, so I can have conversation. I can't talk, baby. <laughs> baby well, I mean, talk. you know, three-year-olds can have very intelligent conversations. Did you know that? Yes, that's what she said. They can, hold yeah. a, they can hold a conversation. They really can. Three-year-olds are very smart. Yeah, I know they're smart. I don't think I have the patience. You know, but um, So uh, what's been going on with you, uh, Miss Tammy? Just moving and shaking, you know, got things like lining some stuff up, trying to get it going and, you know, building the future, just working on some things. You know I got a lot going on, Kenneth. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I thought you was going to tell some of the, uh, tell the people some of the things with with a lot going on, especially with that line okay. of yours. Well, we are um, exporting some items over to Sierra Leone. This is my second shipment going out. It's a forty-five foot, forty-three foot container that we shipped this last time um, to the people over there who specifically had some things that they wanted and needed. And it's important because sometimes they can't have access to the things. Of course, they don't have access to the things that we have as of yet because it's kind of like an underdeveloped, um, an underdeveloped country. But So we shipped them some laptops, some phones, some cars, and some other stuff that they requested, furniture and odd, odd things. 
um, that we are opening up a store that we're going to be shipping every we're shooting for every four months to send a shipment out. So we have a store opening up in Sierra Leone, and I'm very excited about it. It's, it's, it looks like we're going to be able to build a little community. Um, it's very kind of – it's much more easier to do business over there than it is here because here you have all these guidelines, you have all these restrictions, you know, and it's mainly set up so that – Come on, Tammy. You go over no, there. No, of course business, not. Of course not. And business that business is, in, the, in the community in the United States. Come on, Kenneth. You know that is why I am bringing things over into the country as well, to into oh, the United States. As far as you know, you bring into the you know clothing and some stuff people might know rifles, in. right? <laughs> uh, huh? I said that ain't rifles, right? <laughs> rifles. Come on, Kenny. You know. Rifles? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rifles? As in, no, I cannot. I do not have a license to bring in rifles, Kenneth. I don't. Okay, don't get me in trouble. No, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm starting my clothing line. It's called Kazali Authentic. So it's Kazali Authentic, and what that is, it's gonna be. Um, I'm starting off with clothing sandals. Um, you know. Uh, dashikis and different things that you not the kind of China, but the kind that comes directly from comes directly from the motherland. You know, I so want mine sent to me. <laughs> you know, Kenny, I already promised you yours. Yours is going to be a babacore. Remember, it's a little bit different, yeah. but it's going to be similar. It's similar to a dashiki, so the materials are fine and they are. Native I just want mine. That's all. And every time you mention it, every time you mention it, I'm going to remind you. And let me tell you something. And you need a, you need me, a large, right, Kitty? You need a large, right? Extra large. <laughs> extra large. All right, I got you. I got you. I got you for extra, extra large. large. Yeah. I'm, I'm extra large. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm going to get that extra large. That's for you. I want to tell the download something. With this marketing partnership program, every time this uh, uh, this program call, uh, uh, close to uh, three thousand people download the show, and uh, that wow. three thousand people uh, 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 will be learning about your product, and uh, mm-hmm. it will have a positive impact on yourself. And if you want to. Uh, uh, get in contact with me to learn more information. You can dial 404-573-6144. And I will answer the phone. We're going to talk about how we could market your, uh, uh, how we could be marketing partners. Well, Tammy, that's it. Another week. Guess what, Tammy? We made it. Next week. What's Next that? week we'll be talking politics, baby. Politics. Oh man, we having a politician on, Kenny. You know how I feel about politics. You know I don't really roll with politics like that. Why are you always yeah, trying so to throw me in nice, on stuff, Kenny? Be you nice end, you know, because we'll be having a be nice for that politician with the same, but I'm just saying. Huh? Every, they're all the same, nice. right wing, left wing, all the same birds. So I don't know what you be, want me to do, Kenny. You know. But be, be I'll, nice. I'll, 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 I'll be there. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't well, know. I don't know that's how another, nice I'll be, but I'll be there. Uh, be nice, cause you download this shit, this show now. I'm gonna send a copy right. of the show. Well, right. that's for this week. You know, that's another show. That's another episode. 
Like always, Sammy, I am because we are. We are because I am. I see you. Later. Deuces. Later. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.